Hey, everybody. This is Patrick, the Chief Monkey and founder of Wall Street Oasis. Just wanted to first off say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Second, wanted to make sure for any of you in the market for financial modeling training, remind you that Wall Street Oasis does have some incredible financial modeling training courses, including Excel modeling, financial statement through, you know, linking up the three statements, DCF, valuation, M&A, LBO, um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Thanks for the support. Hello and welcome. I'm Alex Grodnick, and this is Moving Up, a podcast about secrets to success, struggles along the way, and life in general. Today on the pod, Ewan McCabe, the co-founder and CEO of Intercom. This conversation ahead is truly amazing. Ewan is one of the most self-reflective and wise people that I've ever had on this podcast. His insights and advice for happiness and what makes a good business are really just so smart and inspiring. That's all I'm going to say. Let's just get into the conversation. Okay, Owen, thanks so much for coming on the podcast all the way from Dublin. Yeah, indeed. My pleasure. Uh, This is going to be a cool conversation. You've built a pretty incredible company uh, of Intercom. So I'd love to hear for everyone that doesn't know, you know, what Intercom is. And then let's jump, uh, let's jump into your, your journey. Yeah, thank you. Um, okay, well, what Intercom does is pretty damn simple. It, it helps um, online businesses talk to and connect with their customers. Um, that's kind of it in a nutshell. When we got started, very early 2011, online businesses, you know, they were still pretty um, transactional and uh you know, there was very little in the way of human connection and relationships. And we looked at, you know, digital companies, software companies, or, 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 or e-commerce stores or, 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 or whatever. And we looked at real world businesses, a coffee shop, for example, I would always compare uh, that to. And it was night and day that, that the online businesses had no connection. Um, and the real businesses very much did. And they were run with a smile and a little familiarity simple connection, respect, appreciation, the good human stuff. And that brought people back again and again and again to the coffee store. And we said, hey, we need to do that for, uh, for internet businesses too. And so ultimately what we, what we built was a messenger. Um, we say we're the world's first business messenger. We launched our messenger in the same 12 months that Facebook Messenger, iMessage, Snapchat, WhatsApp, all those launch theirs. And you can install the messenger on your site, talk direct to the customer. No email, no phone, no transactional crappy stuff, no spam, no automated junk in your inbox. Simple human connection. And it kind of blew up from there. That's amazing. You and uh, Owen, my uh, my startup actually uses Intercom. And it's just a oh. very yeah, it's a very simple, delightful product to use is allow, allows us to chat with our with our customers. Oh, thank you. That's so cool. Yeah, well, it is uh, pretty it is pretty cool. And so I, I loved it when you guys reached out to me and I was like, "Oh, this is this is so cool. I get to I get to have a founder see of a of a product that I actually use come on the pod." So, I'm uh, I've been yeah. looking forward to this conversation. Nice. So, I'm sure it's been quite the journey. You know, you guys have really accomplished uh shocking amount, but how did you, you know, 
I'd love to go back early in early days of you. You know, did you work for somebody else? Were you a born entrepreneur? Like, where did this idea to merge a uh, physical world connection into the digital world come from? Yeah, well, I'll try answer that. Uh, I'll try answer that second question second if I still remember it. Okay. I'll give you a little bit about my story. Um, you know, I grew up. I grew up uh, watching these futuristic TV shows. There was one in Ireland. It was a British show. Uh, I think it was called Tomorrow's World. And then there was an Australian show called Beyond 2000. It's possible I mixed the the origin of both of those up. They talked about this brave, brilliant, bright future. Sadly, we don't talk about the future that way anymore. But back then, I guess it was 30 years ago, um, back then, you know, we dreamed of flying cars and, you know, infinite energy for all. And, you know, maybe everything just a little short of world peace. You know, there's a lot of optimism about what the future might bring. Anyway, I was obsessed with the, the technology side of that. And, uh, and, you know, I wanted to be an inventor. I, I, they, they, these shows kind of idolized the people who invented these things. Um, and I wanted to be that person. You know, I, I just thought that was so damn cool. Uh, I remember like movies I would watch. Um, I, I loved like the inventor type characters. Um, so, you know, I would need to do some pretty deep therapy to figure out why that in particular resonated with me, but it did. Um, and then as I grew up, I started to get excited about computers and what was possible and how you could express yourself online. You know, I got online in 1996 uh, through AOL and I used GeoCities and ICQ and all these good old fashioned uh, portals and sites. And they were these wonderful, magical uh, places for self-expression and kind of an authentic projection of your personality, even stuff like MySpace was. You need to do a little bit of hacking and decoding and stuff to set up your MySpace page. And so, you know, I just love that the the internet was this place where you could kind of express yourself and connect with people globally and, 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 and put yourself out there in this new, cool way. So that really ignited my imagination. And so, you know, when I grew up, I, I learned that there was this thing called computer science. I also, for a second, you know, imagine myself as a scientist. I thought the idea of like wearing a, a white lab coat would be so cool uh, for whatever reason also. And then when I saw that there was, a, there, was a, there was a course called computer science, I was like, wait a second. <laughs> That's an example of really great branding, I guess, uh, whoever named that. So, so I did computer science and I was pretty good at it. Not necessarily a great student. Uh, didn't always do my homework or listen in class or attend class, but I was enthralled by the possibilities. So enthralled. And, you know, somewhere along the way, and I bet this will resonate with a bunch of your listeners because this is part of the entrepreneurial character. And like every strength, it's also a weakness. Uh, but some way along the way, I kind of had a few little bits and pieces of jobs. When I was 16, I worked in a local restaurant, uh, bussing tables, and it lasted for like two weeks. Blew up in this big argument with the restaurant manager. I couldn't stand being told what to do. I told him everything he was doing wrong. 
And, and I learned from little experiences like that, that I was not good at working for somebody, not good, <laughs> you know, like not good. And, you know, when you're that young and you have the kind of chip on your shoulder that I did, you certainly project all of the blame outwards. And so I would, you know, point to this hotel manager or restaurant manager, you know, probably in my head, I thought of him as an idiot. He doesn't know what he's doing. How could he tell me what to do? I'm smarter than him. You know, these, these glorious egos of a, of a young, of a young teenager. Um, but over time, of course, you learn that it's all of your own insecurities, but, uh, through those experiences and then through my, my love for the possibilities of the internet and then my experiences learning computer science and what was possible. You know, I, I, I just realized that um, I'm going to have to work for myself. I want to work for myself. And I certainly had, as a lot of us do, um, you know, this image of an entrepreneur and a businessman, you know, think of the, the chest as puffed out and big strides, probably a suit was involved. But there's a quite of a there's a quite a, a strong image that a lot of people, young entrepreneurs and, and want to be entrepreneurs, have of, of of these of these people. Like the word boss, boss or 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 leader evokes a certain alpha control and strength, and it covers for a lot of insecurities that us entrepreneurs have deep down. You know, it, it, it it's a mask or a, a facade or a little costume that we. We, we, we create to put on so people don't really know what's on the inside. So, so I decided I wanted to be a boss and an entrepreneur and run my own business. And I didn't like being told what to do. And at the same time, I was excited about the internet and technology and everything else. And so that was the primordial soup for, you know, whatever happened next. That was the, the, the big bowl of um, messy ingredients um, that, that, that led to the latter years. Um, and you know, then there was a, just a couple of short hops. It seems like from this point, um, to having me start different types of businesses. I, um, I first was consulting and so a lot of people, a lot of people who, you know, in the technology industry, anyway, a lot of people in the technology industry, when they're make, before they make software, they consult, they sell their time and, you know, pretty quickly, then we would start to read about people who who they had made products and they didn't have to sell their time. And, you know, a lot of the kind of self-help, uh, you know, entrepreneurial type teachers at that time, they would, they, they, they would say that, you know, your income is going to be substantially diminished if it's tied to your time. And so a lot of people like me, while we got into consulting as a way to be independent and make money, we realized pretty quickly that that was going to be pretty limited too. Uh, and that was my experience all through college. I was consulting and making you know little crappy websites for local businesses and whatnot. And I shudder to think of which of them might still be online. I hope my name's not on them, but you know <laughs> they got prettier over the years. And I was pretty proud of my work later on. But early on, it was it was it was a little rough and ready. So I was consulting, but then I um I got to know about uh, Thirty Seven Signals, who would later become Basecamp. Um, 37 Signals run by Jason Fried and David Heinmar Hansen. And they were, they were one of the f- kind of first promoters of software as a service. And they, they consulted too. And they're really about independence and um, autonomy and what one can do if you kind of 
uh, do it your way. And, you know, they're very values driven. And I wrote this book called Getting Real. And I'm pretty sure Getting Real probably shaped a lot of entrepreneurs, software entrepreneurs of my generation. But it just talked about um, how to make a, a web application. And um, it, was a, it was a PDF book. I was back before there were digital books. So God knows how I bought it, but I downloaded a PDF. Then I printed the PDF on college printer, which you are not supposed to do. Right. And it was a pretty thick stack of A4 pages. And of course I screwed it up. So it was like a one page, one sided print, you know, you know, I could have saved a little bit of paper and then I brought it to like the local student stationary place and got it bound. And so I had my bound getting real. And so when I would commute to and from college, I went to college in Trinity in Dublin, pretty close to where my, my parents lived. So I just commuted. I didn't stay there. Uh, instead of reading my course books, I would read Getting Real. And it's somewhere in my parents' house, I think, but I have these like little annotated stuff. And it became, it was, it was first of all, it was kind of like a little Bible for, for people like me and for what, and, 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 and kind of a, a prescriptive uh, set of ideas for how you might start, start a business. So it was education. But later it was kind of like a, a workbook for me because I had my little ideas in it. And I, every time they would make a certain point, I would kind of like make my own notes and my own thoughts on that point. So that was really, really pivotal. And from then I kind of hopped into starting, you know, my own business right after college. I formalized, you know, my own consulting business. I started a thing called Contrast, an agency, started and built a couple different apps through that time, some successful, some very not successful, built another thing called Exceptional, which was a, you know, software developer's tool. And long story short, all the way to 2011, which was a, you know, let me think. 15 years out of college, I, um, wait a sec, five years out of college, <laughs> I, uh, I, yeah, exactly. Time, time, time has moved in, in, in curious ways. Five years out of college, I uh, started Intercom. And I started Intercom with some of the guys I had hired in my previous company. So it became this cool rolling thing, you know, the multiple businesses rolled into each other and built up momentum. So it's kind of a hop and a skit through through my story. Um, happy well, to talk about whatever part of that is interesting to you. It's a truly, I loved hearing it. Uh, I've got two questions come to mind quickly. Yeah. <laughs> that, I mean, the ability with which you know yourself, that self-reflection that you have, I mean, it's incredibly sophisticated. I want to know where that comes from because, you know, sitting in someone on the outside shoes you've built this incredibly successful startup you don't usually have to become incredibly self-reflective after you've built something very very successful so your journey has probably had a lot of down periods right where you've had to say oh look at this like fake confidence that i'm trying to get on my mm -hmm. shoulders and i want to be a boss um so is that where you see it coming from is like the difficult periods of, of your life that that ability to know yourself so well we I, I just don't think we can have that degree of familiarity or any degree of familiarity unless the things that really matter to us, as in really define us, are tested, you know? And those difficult periods, those are the periods where your, your fundamental characteristics your makeup, the person who you are, uh, the reason you 
work a certain way or communicate or whatever um, r- really show those insecurities um, that come from very early experiences, you know, experiences in childhood, different types of trauma, whether it's a capital T trauma, big bad things, or just, you know, little hardships over a long enough period of time. Um, those those characteristics are baked early and and they will be challenged. They they, you know, life has a way of showing them to you. Um you have a choice. You can decide that you want to kind of look at them and respect them. You, you, you can decide that the harder times and the difficulties um, are there to teach you something. Or you can shut your eyes and cover your ears. Um, you can deny yourself. Um, and you can blame other people for your difficulties. And, and it is in that pattern but, but, but of behavior that you miss that opportunity for awareness. And, and I say that without judgment. I mean, some of us have, you know, experienced difficulties so, so, so challenging that we don't want to look at them. That actually the covering your eyes and, and, and your ears is, is, is all we've got. It's a coping mechanism. So I deeply respect that, but, you know, you know, self-awareness and, 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 and self-love and self-respect and an understanding of who you are and what makes you tick um, does require that you, you show up in those difficult moments and you're honest and you look at what's going on. You ask for help and you respect whatever you're feeling and uh, tremendous things come from that. Yeah. Oh, and that's incredibly powerful. I mean, they say you either succeed or you learn. And if you have the mm-hmm. the open mind to learn from those difficult times, and also to realize that that everyone has difficult times, you know, you, you the the media glamorizes startups and two guys in a garage and they raised a million dollars. What they don't tell you is that they probably worked in that you know hot garage for four years before they were able to raise a million dollars. And it's like you know these everyone goes through these these human challenges together, uh, and mm-hmm. that it's it's normal. Mm-hmm. That's absolutely correct. That's absolutely correct. And you know, the the difference again, though, is that some people learn how to have a healthy relationship with those challenges and others don't. And the irony is that those that do are the people who from the outside look like all as well. And, you know, the truth is like in our modern media and social media, you know, our ego driven environment that a, a lot of people play the game to project a certain image, but you know we all know now at this stage that those that do that the most are actually those who have the most insecurities, just like that that boss that boss kind of image or that entrepreneurial kind of uh, 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 image are the people who have, have the most to hide. And again, I say that with with no judgment. That's just the way that humans work. Um, but you know, again, the option and opportunity for for anyone. Uh, with the difficulties that you will face in life and you will face some real heartbreak, real heartbreak um, is to ignore it and blame someone else or to respect it, ask what you can learn from it and show up in those moments. And that will richly reward you in the most beautiful ways. Yeah. I love it, Owen. Do you still recommend the 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 Basecamp book to people? <laughs> I was thinking about that as I as I mentioned it because you know with all respect to the the base camp uh, uh, guys and I I really do respect them I mean I really look up to them Jason Jason Fried is 
one of a short list of personal heroes. Like all things, I'm sure it's quite dated. I must, I must pull it out now and have a look again. I'm sure it's quite dated. So there's all manner of things these days. There's fun podcasts like yours. The access to just learning and interesting people has exploded. I mean, if anything, it's too much, right? Yep. But um, I, 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 I don't know if I can, if I recommend that or not. I'd have to read it again and come back to you. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's. I'm sure that makes sense. Um, okay, so so let's get into the to the early days of of Intercom. Where did the who was like? Do you have co-founders? Like, how did the how did the beginning time go? Yeah, yeah, I had a, there was a total of four co-founders, and um, you know we had a we had a healthy mix of you know different types of skills. I did a lot of the interface design, and you know my co-founder Des did um, some more of the fundamental application architecture and design. And between the both of us, we kind of thought through a lot of the the strategy, product strategy, and uh, figured out a plan for what we wanted to be. Um, our other two founders, Kieran and David, were, were technical co-founders. And, and, and one of the great things about that team is that, you know, we had a group of people who were all useful, <laughs> um, could all contribute. Um, and really, we could do so much without anyone else. I mean, you know, the company's nearly, it's going on 700 people now. So, you know, God knows we needed a lot of other other people. And, you know, I guarantee you that, the, the, the non-founders of the company are some of the, the, the most talented and specialized now. But in the early days for what we needed, we could do it on our own. And, and, and that's a big secret. You know, when you start in a company with people, you really want to make sure that there's a high degree of value being brought to the table by every single person. Um, you know, that said, something I also advise is that there's, there's, um, there's leadership there. And, you know, because I had started the original consulting company and hired those guys, I was the, you know, the kind of primary person that pointed us in the right direction. And that allowed us to have a large group where everyone brought a lot and a full team without the anarchy of, you know, design by committee, which I see in other places still. So, you know, we were, we were really fortunate when we started and we had, we had battle tested that, that team through, through other companies. So, um, we were we we had advantages, unfair advantages, you might say, relative to to, to other people starting out, um, that you just don't get in a lot of companies, and that's why I really I advocate people starting slow. You know, a lot of people they're just desperate to start a company, any company, and they'll meet a potential co-founder and sign a corporation documents two weeks later, <laughs> and uh, um, that's a scary a scary thing because just like life will will test you and test your values and your, your, your character and your strength and your weaknesses. Companies will too, and it'll test the nature of your relationships. It'll, it'll, it'll test the team. And, uh, you know, so many founder relationships implode and go awry and, you know, really don't last long enough to create anything productive. So the start of the story was a strong team. Yep. Um, I think, I think the next, the next piece and the next kind of secret to kind of our success in a sense was just the incredible, the incredibly high bar that we held for ourselves and our work, our essential belief that we can do better than what else is out there. It was, a, it was an idea I used to promote and I, I always felt a little uncomfortable because I really wasn't trying to put others down, but 
I looked around the industry and I said, we'll do better. We can do better. It's really not that good. The standard here is mediocre. And of course, lots of brilliant individuals out there, lots of brilliant companies, but the standard in all fields, all industries is pretty low. And so, you know, a big part of that early day was what was, was saying, we're going to just do far better. We're going to create brilliance. We're going to demonstrate excellence in everything that we do. Uh, no less. We're not trying to play a game here. We're not trying to find the shortest path to, you know, some sort of outcome. We're, we're going to obsess about truly great work and building a truly brilliant product. And, and there was real obsession in that. Um, and, you know, that's one of the most interesting things where anyone starting any business, there can be any business. There's a bakery across the street from me here. Um, at the start, people get so caught up in the tips and the tricks and, you know, what does it take to have a successful business? And they'll even go down rabbit holes like social media strategies and, and all manner of junk trappings of, 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 of what it might look like to run a business from the outside and forget that the only thing that matters, the only thing that matters is that you have the best goddamn product or service on the market. And that's never hard in any market. Of course, some markets are led by true mavericks. And, you know, I, you know, I, I, I think Elon Musk, for example, is a, is a wonderful example of a true maverick. But he's winning by virtue of the fact that there is no one else in his field that is going to obsess in the most crazy ways about being the best in their market. Uh, so that's kind of all you have to do. <laughs> yep. That's all you have to do. And of course it's easier said than done. And that's kind of a joke. You know, it's part of a, a you know, a, a, a cruel joke, but all you have to do is make the best goddamn product or service in the market. And so actually the trick is, you know, everything else will follow your damn social media campaigns. You'll figure that out. The actual trick is, and the secret is taste. You know, you need to know the market you're playing in. Do not get into something you do not understand. You know, again, beautiful bakery across the street. I'm pretty sure I'd run a terrible bakery. Um, and I, I think that the reason that they do so well is that the people who run it are probably pretty damn obsessed about the thing that they do. Um, and so that was like the second, that was really the second part of our story. The first was, you know, great team you know, really a bottle-tested team with clear, strong leadership. The second was just a decision that we would obsess over product and innovating and being the best and first and everything else and blowing people's minds, no less. And that, <laughs> that extended from the product to the marketing. You know, we really wanted it to be great, just really, really great. And then if, I, if I'm to try and tie a bow around this and give you a third, a third in this gloriously oversimplified <laughs> uh, story, I would probably say that then, you know, the next step as we, as we got bigger and, you know, we, you know, we're at hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue where, you know, achieved a quote unquote unicorn valuation. I mean, it's like as big as any young entrepreneur's dream gets. I was 26 when I started the company. I, I never imagined we'd get there. But then after we really had set the thing in motion, um, you know, excellence in oper operations became important, you know bringing in the right people, 
finding those specialists and specializing in general. And this is another crucial mistake that I, and I think every young entrepreneur makes, which is basically settling for the people you bring in. It's so hard to hire when you're getting started. You don't have enough experience to really talk in a sensible way that experienced people are going to be impressed by. You probably are lacking some significant degree of real internal confidence because you've not done it before. You are not going to have a lot of obvious proof points in your numbers that might override the fact that you don't know what the hell you're talking about, but maybe it's making a ton of money. You've got none of those things. And so to bring in experienced, brilliant people is straight up difficult. But I appeal to young leaders, young entrepreneurs to not settle. Don't settle. Wait, 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 wait. You know, it's true to say that the types of people, even the best types of people you'll be able to hire will be less experienced than those you'll be able to hire when you're five years down the road and more experienced. But but so many people just take the easy path. So many people take the easy path. And, you know, I have a deep belief in the power of truly brilliant people. There are some truly brilliant people out there. And we kind of forget that. I don't know why we forget that. Maybe it's that, you know, we all as a society have, you know, an ever greater shared interest in, you know, equality of opportunity. We want our fields and industries to be open to everyone. That makes a lot of sense. And maybe we just forget that some people are just incredible. Some people are incredible, so talented, so able. And they have these rich, broad talents, not just really good at one thing, but they can just do so much. And they're open-minded and they're kind and they're caring and they want to operate in a long-term way and build a relationship that will last. They're keen to learn. They want the best ideas to win, not just their ideas. There are some incredible people out there and they will change your goddamn life, any business. <laughs> um, and, you know, it's really worth waiting for them. And that's something I, I kind of had to learn, you know, because it is scary when you're out there hiring and you're putting yourself into the world and you're getting rejected a lot and you've got a business to build. Um, but just wait a little longer than you're comfortable and you will eventually find some brilliant people. When you read the stories of the greats in any field, they're just peppered with these stories of some people that just changed their whole lives and their whole business. Yeah. I mean, that's the first chapter in the Good to Great book. You have to have the right people on the bus. It's true. It's absolutely true. And it really, it really defines the whole um, business for the rest of the lifetime of that company. And you're listening to your story. It all makes sense now why you had the ability to become so self-reflective uh, going through these hard times because you set the bar of being brilliant and that's going to be hard to live up to a lot of the time someone else came on my podcast and they said happiness equals results minus expectations and yeah i, I like that and you have these crazy expectations going to be difficult to be happy so yeah. but you guys did change the world uh and you did build a transformative business not everyone gets to yeah. do that so there's like a balance maybe of crazy world-changing expectations and then just not <sighs> changing expectations and being happy. I, I don't know. I don't know where that, where that balance lies. Like for me, this podcast, I have very low expectations for, and it continually outperforms it and just provides me 
pure delight all the time. Uh-huh. But my uh-huh. fintech startup, we, you know, like you, we have these change the world motivations, and I'm never happy because we never, uh-huh. we never live up to them. Uh huh. It's very difficult. The 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 Stoics would teach you to have less desires. You know, they would say want less. The secret to happiness is, is wanting less, which 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 you're kind of touching on there. And it's true to say that really all of human suffering comes from our ego identities. You know, we create these identities to cover for our insecurities and we torture ourselves, torture ourselves, torture ourselves to try and live up to those identities and that image. Um, so there's a lot to be said for not taking yourself too seriously, for being kind and gentle to yourself, for not being fixed on the outcome, for being excited about the journey, for going with the flow, for being grateful for the surprises and the lessons and the gifts that you receive from the universe or God or whatever it is you believe in or whatever way you like to think. There's so much to be said for that. And I completely, thoroughly advocate for that. And um, I also get it that people like you and me and every single person listening to this really does want to achieve something really great and really will find it hard to detach from that identity. And, you know, they have some sense that life is short and probably believe they've only got one of them. And they have some internal belief in themselves and they want to make something of that. And so I don't blame them whatsoever. I, I, I love that actually. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. And so I think what the secret is, is first of all, acknowledging that truth, which is that the secret to happiness is, is less desire and not being fixed to any kind of outcome. That will seep in over life. You'll never get all the way there, but that will get in. Decade by decade, it'll get in, little bit by little bit. But then respect your ego. Humans have egos. Every single human in the world has an ego. And there's probably a strong evolutionary reason for that. We, 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 we need to put ourselves first when food shows up and take care of our own families. You know, if we all started to just give all our food away to everyone else, then, you know, we'd die and there would just be you no know, structure in society. You know, humanity would, would, would die out. So, so egos are there. And I think the thing is you need to just make sure that the ego is not in the driver's seat all the goddamn time. You are not your ego. You're so much greater than that. Whatever you think of yourself as entrepreneur, CEO, business person, founder, boss, any of these things, you're more than that. You're a rich, beautiful, awesome human. And the the entrepreneur part is just a smaller little part. And we respect that. We love that. We think it's cool. But let's just keep it at somewhat of a little distance. and. Give it what it wants from time to time and channel that energy in a healthy way and, you know, play to win. You know, you want to win with your, your, your fintech startup. But the truth is, and I hope it's a glorious success, but if in a year it doesn't meet your expectations, that has no bearing on the fact that you're a wonderful, awesome, beautiful human. That has no bearing on that whatsoever. 
right? So there's some balance there. I, and, 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 and I don't think that the Stoics had it all right because I don't think it's possible to d- divorce yourself from your ego. I don't think it's possible to, to, to live a holy ascetic life and to, you know, deny whatever your, 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 your inner younger part wants. I just don't think it's possible. But it is possible to build awareness of it and what it does. Keep it at a little bit of a healthy distance. Don't let it in the driver's seat all the damn time. Uh, and, and, and stay connected with the larger part of you that knows that you're okay. You're awesome. You're beautiful. You're valid. Even if the ego isn't getting everything it wants. Yeah. Oh, and that, I mean, that was just so wise. And this whole conversation has just been so much fun to, to listen to. I mean, I like you're bringing up Stoics and more than business. And it, it, this, is just, this has just been really, really a delight speaking with you. Yeah, my pleasure. Pretty fun. Thank you. Okay. Uh, thanks so much. Talk soon. Yeah. Thanks for listening today. If you like moving up, the best way you can support us is by telling your friends, helping us grow. Thanks.